Welcome back, everyone, to the Vitalist Spark podcast. Today, we're joined by three bright and talented minds to talk about affordable housing in Arizona, what it means, what modern, quote, affordable housing actually looks like, and how outdated stigma and ideas about the American dream often hinders progress toward ensuring that everyone has a place to call home. So let's dive in and hear from our three incredible guests. First, from Valley Leadership, we have CEO Dave Brown. Dave, how are you doing today? Very well. Thank you for having me. And from Vitalist Health Foundation, Director of Healthy Communities, Gabriel Jaramillo. Gabe, how are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me. And the founder and president and CEO of First Place Arizona, along with the co-founder of the Southwest Autism Research and Resource Center, also known as SARC, Denise Resnick. Denise, thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Thanks so much. Denise, you recently pulled together a handful of partners across various sectors to discuss affordable housing needs. Can you tell us a little bit about this convening and what you're hoping to achieve? So it was a, a group of public-private and philanthropic interests coming together to determine how best we all move forward with what we're calling Affordable Housing 2.0, but to be renamed, because we do recognize that affordable housing has a stigma associated with it. There has been backfire with many local jurisdictions, not just here, but across the country, people not truly appreciating what and who affordable housing is for. So we're in the process right now of developing a comprehensive campaign that allow various groups to move forward, but but to be stronger together, because everybody has uh, slightly different messages, whether it's from the state or from the county or from coalitions. But collectively, we have some really powerful and important things to say about how and why we need more housing that is affordable and for various populations. What you said made me think of an anecdote that I experienced a few years ago where there were discussions at the state legislature and a legislator spoke up in talking about affordable housing. And he said, listen, I get the purpose of all of this, but have you guys seen affordable housing? I mean, why would we want to continue investing in that? And he had this scowl on his face as if he was envisioning some sort of really dilapidated housing in some sort of really hard off area. Is that kind of what you're talking about when you think about the the stigma that some people have about this still? Yes. More people not appreciating and experiencing affordable housing and affordable housing and housing that is affordable. We're talking about beyond four walls. It's where and how people live. And they don't just live in four walls. Home is also part of community and how those homes connect to community. I'm coming at this with a very specific population in mind, and that's for people who have autism and other neurodiversities or different abilities. And there's stigma associated with that. And so we want to advance and fuel a new wave of real estate and community options where people do not identify with housing because of a diagnosis in the same way that my being an almost senior doesn't tell you what I need in my housing, neither does somebody's autism or Down syndrome or traumatic brain injury, or because they are a senior or a vet. And it's the idea of people needing and wanting different things 
in housing that is affordable, whether you're a school teacher, a postal worker, healthcare worker, or you're somebody who has been experiencing homelessness, that we need different types of housing that is affordable for different people based on where they're coming from. And that's part of a healthy community housing portfolio and a healthy portfolio for our state so that everybody can have a chance to have a home. David, Valley Leadership, you know, one of the things that Valley Leadership has always been great at is really cultivating the future leaders in the Valley, in the greater Phoenix area and across the state. What does housing have to do with this? How is Valley Leadership approaching housing as a critical issue to embed within the mindsets of today's and tomorrow's leaders? Well, to borrow an expression from my other hat, which is Home Matters and Home Matters Arizona, home is where it all starts. So thinking about it, what we do at Valley Leadership is preparing leaders to have meaningful impact on the most pressing issues facing Arizona. And when you think about all the issues facing Metro Phoenix, the state of Arizona, or the country, Eventually, all roads, again, to stay on that metaphor and pun, lead to home. And when you don't have a stable home, a home that is affordable, a home that's part of a community that offers other quality of life enhancements and opportunities, you don't do so well in, in anything else, whether that's your kid's education, whether that's your own health status, whether that's your own economic prospects, you have to be able to rely and count on a home. And what makes the stigma of affordable housing, and that is the last time I'm going to use it. Let's see if, we, if this works here, Gabriel, if I can if I can go the rest of this podcast and not say the phrase affordable housing, because it only contributes to that unfortunate and negative stigma. What's challenging about that term is that, and we saw this when we launched Home Matters, and we're seeing it now even with, with Valley Leadership and the impact team that Gabriel's leading, it's hard to get behind a problem or a challenge that that might be. And when you look at the continuum of housing, people recognize immediately homelessness. You see someone. And that's different than, well, this family is almost barely making their rent payment or barely able to make their mortgage payment. What they what the the general community doesn't see is that in order to make that rent payment, that family has not bought healthy groceries or healthy food or is, uh, cut back on prescription medication, cut back on an extra room or a home that may have an extra room where a kid can do homework. These are the things that are behind the lack of income or opportunity to pay for your rent or pay for your mortgage. And those things have big consequences when it comes to someone's ability to thrive. It has big consequences with their quality of life. And so what, what Denise is leading and what we're all trying to get everybody in Arizona to rally around is that having a good place to live, whether it's mostly affordable, almost affordable, not really affordable, should be a priority because we know, and you have now research backing it all up and all the great work that Vitalist has done with the wheel, that they're all linked, they're all connected, they all play on each other, and they all intersect in a way that really speaks to a quality of life. So with Home Matters to Arizona, we've said, let's make home a quality of life issue. With Valley Leadership, we've said home is such an important part of how any community can thrive, that we need to pay attention to it. And what's been so exciting, just in this last cohort we launched here in September that Gabriel was on last week, was the, the level of excitement about this is this this is an issue and we need to do something about it. I've been in housing 14, 15 years now. There's champions all over the place, but to get the general kind of public, which is what our leaders are, our leaders are young, coming from within state, out of state, everywhere. And they're all 
fired up about the need for what are we going to do about where we call home? And one comment in particular at the last session about from a woman who said, you know, I'm starting to see how social determinants of health play into home and how the environment is related to home and all these other things. And it's like, we haven't gotten to education. We haven't gotten to jobs in the economy. We haven't gotten to child well-being yet as far as our program sessions. And for them to already see how eh, they all kind of are all trickling back to home is huge and a huge thing to, to be aware of and know about as we seek to cure home. Dave, you mentioned that there's a lot of excitement right now. You've been in this work for a long time. Denise, I know you've been in it a long time. Gabe, you've been in it a long time. Where do you all place this moment in history in terms of the need for housing and the level of energy that there is around housing right now? How do you think about this like over the longer term? Give us some, some perspective. Yeah, as far as, as a point in history, when we're looking at you know the city of Phoenix is... 165,000 units short of, of, of affordable housing. The state of Arizona is short 250,000 units of affordable housing. The way legislators are approaching it, the funding mechanisms that we're working towards, it's not enough to build that lack of affordable units. There's just not enough effort there. But now at the same time, there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of engagement from houses right now to build the consensus around what programs, projects, legislation could, could be backed. And there's one-time funding through ARPA and, and a couple of the other ones that could be really utilized to be a catalyst for programs and other pieces of legislation that create sustainable housing models or partnerships that can help fill the, those needs. And I also think it sparks some of the conversation, like Dave was saying, is that that need for that private, public, nonprofit, philanthropic partnership to work together to address it because you know, the state itself is not going to build 250,000 units. The city of Phoenix is not going to build 170,000 units without participation along the entire line. Uh, and that will bring back the continuum of housing. So we not only need every member to participate, we need to address housing on the entire continuum, whether it's for homelessness and on the, on the further end, it's for those families that are um, looking to purchase a home with some help that might just be on the fringes that are looking to provide that stable community for their family for the first time ever to start generating wealth to help break that cycle and start closing that wealth gap. Like right now, there's a big opportunity for it. But why? Why, why now? I think that's just population growth. And I think Arizona is leading that and making it as visible as possible. You know, Director Simplot was on our programming last week, and he mentioned how, because he's he's been around more than I have and more in the housing space, especially in Arizona's early part in Phoenix's early history is that builders were able to build to demand. He kept coming back to supply and demand. There's no way to match supply now. And that old model of builders being able to find land anywhere, which we still can do comparatively to other cities, but to be able to find land and just build, we were able to catch up. And now that we're so far out, I tell people, I joke when I went to high school, in Chandler, small school, we played another high school in Queen Creek, Queen Creek High School. And it was like, we felt like we were in the bus for hours. And now it has just all been developed out to Queen Creek, even further out into Santan Valley. And it's like, there's not really too much more places to build. That model of just continuing to build and meet supply is done. And now we're going to have to look at what other cities have already had to discuss and deal with, inclusionary zoning to build up. 
And there's a smart way to do that. And there's a, a way to do that that still brings that value of all the other amenities of a home and a community that we just haven't had to think about as a state or as a region since our history, frankly. So now it's kind of playing catch up and having to think about it during a crisis and having to think about it where you're continuing to get more and more people moving here, in my humble opinion, I think is going to make or break the state is people came here to Arizona because it was one, it's sunny and we'll continue to have that. Although we've learned it may be too sunny and too hot. We already know that actually. And because it was cheap to have housing and the housing part is not cheap anymore. I had two conversations last week of young families looking to buy their first home and their frustration. And uh, it's, it's kind of hopeless, Dave. And I remember having that same frustration, except I was in Washington, DC, which had the second hottest market in the country. And so we were kind of our expectation, like, yeah, we're probably not going to be able to afford a home in the Washington, DC area to buy. But I certainly could do that in Arizona. Now you're getting Arizona in that same spot. So there's that window now of as more people move here, Arizona has that opportunity, both the other side of this is to say, let's build home thoughtfully. Let's build out what that means uh, to Gabe's point across the continuum as we serve people who are still on the streets all the way to people who home ownership is the end goal, which should be a, it is the goal to build wealth, especially when you talk about people of color who have been forced purposely, intentionally forced out of the wealth creation that happens with home ownership. What are we going to do about that? And that is a whole other part of the continuum that we need to look at. So it's a it's a complicated continuum, but I think an opportunity with all of the art money that's coming down and all the stimulus money that's coming down and the fact that Arizona has just started to think through inclusionary zoning and starting to think through how to build out communities. And there's still space and people willing to do that. We're not so entrenched in old, like an older city. And it is that this moment that we're having in terms of the the most visible challenge, which we all experience in terms of those who are experiencing homelessness. And we see that on our streets and to the rising prices of, of real estate and this collaboration, this tri-sector leadership. And at the highest levels in our state to have Arizona Department of Housing Director Tom Simplot working with Access Director Jamie Snyder, attracting non-traditional lenders to this space, attracting leaders who realize that good, healthy communities are really are defined by, by what's good for children, youth, and families. And, and when your kid doesn't have a place to sleep at night and isn't able to go to a school or be ready to go to a school, or if you're not able to get fresh food because the liquor store at the corner, the convenience store that, that becomes your grocery store, that's not good. And that's certainly not good enough for any of us. So we're also coming at this with more innovative ideas and examples of what has worked. So this moment is also based on a recognition that we can reduce homelessness, that we can reduce urgent care and emergency room visits, that when we give people those opportunities for stable housing and a place to sleep at night and a, and a place that can be supportive beyond your four walls, we're doing what's good for our communities and good for our economy. And so every sector is impacted by this need to create housing that is affordable. Our economy depends on it.
Denise, you mentioned the multi-sector collaboration that's required in order to tackle this issue. You mentioned the partnerships between the state housing department, the state Medicaid department, bringing housing and healthcare together. And you mentioned innovations and new ideas that are coming out. I assume that when you say innovations, one of the things that you might be thinking of is Home Matters Arizona. Can you all talk a little bit about what Home Matters, you've mentioned it briefly, but dive into the history of it and what it's looking to achieve. Based on some lobbying and some advocacy done at the national level around housing and community development, a group of NeighborWorks organizations and other practitioners, people who build home every day, got together and said, you know, at the end of the day, people don't understand what a low-income housing tax credit is. There's an immediate stigma with Section 8. You think of Cabrini Green, and the projects, and HOPE 6, and all the other acronyms that fill the, the housing space. And we said, what if we made the narrative about what home really means to people? Again, all along the continuum. So we decided to brand housing and look for a, a catch-all kind of phrase and movement and story that would say, would describe to people what homelessness means when you finally find a home to what it means to open the door to your first bought home. And what does that feel like? What are the tenants? What is that quality of life that comes with that? And we organized it around five areas, home matters for health, education, public safety, individual success, and the economy, because those were things we felt like everyday people understand when it comes to their home. They want all those things, which some of which Denise just gave some examples on. So the idea was, it's not another entity. It's not a foundation. It's not an intermediary. It's a story. How do we tell Americans about what we phrased as the new American dream? What does it mean to you? And we learned through building out various programming that it does not mean white picket fence. So it's the, the goal isn't necessarily home ownership. It's being able to afford something. And it meant something different to everybody. It meant, yeah, I wanted my kids to walk to the library and feel safe. It meant I want to be able to have fresh food for dinner and know how to cook it. All these other kinds of things meant that's my American dream. And that's very different than history. And when we think about the American dream and the pursuit of it by Americans. So it's really just a story that we brought here to Arizona and synced up with the health plans, all the health insurers who through their leadership in that of access said, let's pool our resources. So we, we have to give back to the community. Let's do it together and let's leverage that put back and let's build that around these values of home matters. So instead of just saying, yeah, here's a million dollars, go build another 10 units of housing. How about we go, here's a million dollars and go build 10 units of, of home, go build 10 homes and improve the quality of life of 10 families and individuals. Right off the bat, it just sounds better. And secondly, it's a way to start intentionally building out the world in a way that aligns with some values that people want. They want to live in homes that have those grocery stores or access to fresh food or good schools that are across the street and a sense of belonging within the community, just like Denise has done at first place. So, well, let's do that. And that's why we kind of call it the next generation of, of what we hope the next 40, 50 years of, of building home looks like. Whereas the first 50 years, catch up, populations building and population in the United States doubles, triples, and we got to keep up with the housing units. Now let's shift to where we start building out homes and have a good story to wrap that around so that people understand it enough to say, here's my own dollar for it. 
Here's my own vote for it. Here's my own advocacy for that kind of home being built because it requires such tremendous amounts of resources that we need everybody to be a part of it. And that's what Home Matters tries to do is wrap everybody into this idea that health or air, water, food, home. And back in 2015, Dave and I connected on the Home Matters idea because to me, it resonated precisely to what we wanted to build out for people with autism and other neurodiversities. How can we be part of our communities and how can we be fully integrated and how can we enjoy everything that other people want to enjoy, friends and jobs and healthcare and continuing education and a supportive community. And so for us, focus on a very specific population, it was important that we got out of our autism or disability or different ability bubble and connected to something larger than ourselves. So that's why we've been at the table and such a, a huge proponent of Home Matters to Arizona, because people with autism and other neurodiversities live everywhere and, and they should be able to access housing that is affordable too. At Vitalist, we often talk about our big, bold idea is to shift the health paradigm, to take this common narrative that is health equals healthcare and show that health is more than healthcare. We like to think we're being really bold in that. And I just heard you say that you're trying to shift the American dream paradigm. So that's, that's have, bold. <laughs> we have our work cut out for us and that's where we need to go. And I joke with people, for anybody that's visited the department of housing and urban development HUD. Like you can't think of a worse, more depressing sounding acronym than go visit the actual building in DC and you'll get even more depressed. And it's one of those where it doesn't inspire anyone to what we want to invest in as a country. And I think the younger generations are starting to pay more attention to how they spend their time, where they put their money and what the government should be doing for them. And it does start moving towards this idea of quality of life-based things. What makes me happier? What makes life easier? What makes life more comfortable for me? And for everyone, inclusivity of how government serves is going to start playing more of a role. And that these big, bold things that at the end of the day, we've convinced all of the nerds of the world to say, these are all true. We can prove all these things matter. Well, now convincing the rest of the world to say, Social determinants of health will absolutely determine how well your kid does 20 years from now. Social determinants of health will absolutely determine whether you have a job five years from now based on where you live, how long you'll, when you're going to die. And so having all of those things become more integral parts of how government invests and makes decisions. And that's why I'm so excited about what the Home Matters Fund, Director Simplot's vision of let's change the, the way his department invests in housing. So it's based in those things. Your, your wheel is, is bold, probably a little ahead of its time, like home matters, but will be what we talk about in 40 and 50 years. And I really think that's why I'm excited about. So here at Vitalist, I had the opportunity to work with Darlene Newsom and Denton to really move forward the project of housing on school property or unused school property to have an option for teachers. And it goes back to what Denise was saying is, who are the members of the community that, that are, are there? And it broadens the conversation to really who needs the housing in the community. And you start thinking about the teachers, you start thinking about the staff. 
You start thinking about the firefighters and the police officers and the clerks at the grocery store, they, that you want to live in that community so that they could live next to where they're working and have them all become members of that community. Also shifting that. So, you know, taking some of the services that the school currently provides to just students and getting a federally qualified health clinic on that same premise. So now you can offer those health services, bring in a daycare, bring in a job training opportunity for whatever county, city, district that they're in to start creating those hubs of resources and living facilities that meet the needs of the community all the way around. You know, that really addresses multiple needs. That's one of the reasons I'm so excited about promoting this project is having that in the community that that people live in and having those main members be part of that community and having the opportunity to live in the community that they serve. That just drastically changes the outcome of everybody there. Gabe, I I love how you reinforce community and that makes all the difference and neighbors, supporting neighbors. And we have co-developed with the Foundation for Senior Living two beautiful affordable housing properties that co-locate seniors with people with autism and other neurodiversities. And in this case, these are people who had gone through our first place transition academy and develop their skills, and they're no longer living as students. They're all just neighbors. And it's a beautiful expression of multi-generational living, of how we can create and help to create and infuse purpose into daily life and, and more purposeful, meaningful, you know, supportive lives. One of many definitions of community can be considered about the, the people in your life you do not pay to care about you. And so you think about what that supportive neighbor can do, that person you check in on or that person who brightens your day or that you invite in because they didn't have a place to go for Thanksgiving. I mean, those those things matter. And a kindness quotient that comes from creating community of people who are feeling better about themselves and happier. And, and you just want you want to be able to rely on, on the goodness and humanity. And, and that's what excites me also about home matters is that when people are content and happy in their homes, they're better neighbors too, because their needs are taken care of. And and so many want to help someone else who, who may need a little more help. Denise, it's such a simple but profound statement that you just made that we need to get to a place where we're all just neighbors. It's not, oh, that's an affordable housing unit, quote unquote, or that's housing for this type of person or that type of person. It's we're all just neighbors and we, we care about one another and no one's paying us to do so. I wanted to come back to you, Gabe. Continue painting a picture of what home looks like in, I know we're not trying to use the term, but affordable housing. Gabe, you've worked in this for quite a while and helped to manifest, build, create new housing that is actually home for various families throughout Arizona. So for our audience who still has that stigma in their mind, maybe of what Section 8 or affordable housing actually looks like. Give us an up-to-date picture on what this looks like on the ground. I look back at the neighborhoods that we've worked in and what that looks like. It could look like any neighborhood. It could be mostly single-family detached homes that have needed assistance either in purchasing that, building it. That's an affordable unit. It could be mixed-income housing developments that some of the affordable housing developers look like that right now could match up to any luxury apartment building in the city. You know, so that picture is, it's harder for me to say, you know, what that looks like, because there's examples of it already. 
There's examples of how that's been created and there could be more, but it looks like any typical neighborhood. And I think that's what we're trying to get across is that affordable housing mix in. And then again, I hate saying affordable housing because it creates that stigma. And even the other day we heard, you know, we were were talking about affordable housing and the word projects came up and that's not it anymore. That's not what it looks like. That's not what's included in it. You know, they can, they can look like any neighborhood that has a mix of an apartment complex with a mom and pop shop or a convenience store on the first floor and housing right above it. And 20 feet away from it can have a multi-generational single family detached home with an ADU unit in the back. That's affordable housing. It could look like that neighborhood that has duplexes and triplexes that meet affordability needs for that community that are built that keep the integrity of that community. There's a lot that goes into that. And then there's examples of it happening. Mixed income and mixed uses is what seems to be the go-to words to describe that. There's examples of it. It'd be great to see to see that model be used throughout the state. Well done, Gabe. And I would add what you just described is really a portfolio of options. And that's what we need, meeting people where they are. And they're going to be coming and and they are coming at this from different places, but there are common ingredients. And as Dave was teeing up in terms of the basis of what Home Matters is all about, in terms of education and health and public safety and economy and and for individual success, home and community can look different in different places, but you know when you experience it. And so we invite your listeners, if they're interested, to join us on some really eye-opening and beautiful expressions of home and homes that are affordable and are eager to learn more about what the need is. And and the best way for us to be doing this at this time is the power of examples and specifically the examples that we are funding through Home Matters to Arizona and the Home Matters Arizona Fund and how we have set criteria to express all these things that you've been hearing about in terms of that connectivity to the broader community and what it takes to create homes for everyone. We talk about this often in the space of autism. Supportive housing looks differently for different people based on you know their ability to communicate or the ability to express different skills if, if they have an autism diagnosis. So it's not just one thing. And so when you ask the question about, you know, describe what housing that's affordable looks like, it's it's going to be many things. And it's really that portfolio that we need to develop with a lot of intentionality to meet people where they are. So it sounds like an ideal future for what we're currently calling affordable housing is that you don't even recognize that it is something that's different from other housing, that it is, it is a home. It is a place where people live make families, and enjoy life. Amen. And where they can feel safe on the street, where they can enjoy taking their kids you know, to the park, where they can enjoy being in the park and access the fresh food and neighbors who will be on the lookout. Because really the best, the best way to address safety, security, that's more eyes and ears. And it's not just our first responders. We need them too. But more eyes and ears will help keep more of our neighbors and our community safe. So when you think about these homes that have been built in Arizona or elsewhere, what are some of the common factors that you've seen across these successes that 
seem to be, I guess, kind of common denominators in order to make this work, in order to make this succeed? What sort of things can be done in order to overcome the negative narrative, the stigma that surrounds this issue and actually create places for people to call home? Communities are built by community and that engagement is very, very important. And I believe that MAG currently with their housing plan has been doing a magnificent job intentionally engaging and keeping people and organizations and leaders close at every step of the way. And so I I believe there's much we can learn from the power of their example of true engagement. And that's what's required, community built by community. And that includes homes. Dave, Gabriel, what do you see as some of the common factors that seem to exist when these units, homes are built in a way that actually affords people a quality of life that gives them a place to call home? How do we overcome this thing that we're identifying as stigma within affordable housing? You know, the thing that comes to mind is kind of similar to what Denise was saying is that community centered, that community impact, and, and really just really acknowledging the needs of the community. And I think that's big. And the example that I can think of is there was a Habitat for Humanity, I believe it was in North Carolina. Outside of the traditional Habitat for Humanity stance, they purchased an entire, and actually it was their second mobile home park, a very large mobile home park. And they completely rehoused every single person in it without placing anybody involuntarily. They gave everybody the option They work with everybody to meet them at their needs. So out of this mobile home park, they first started with community meetings. And what they realized quickly is that they needed a place to do that. And the park didn't have that. So they started partnering with the Boys and Girls Club and a couple of others. So they created a community center. They actually built a community center that housed the Boys and Girls Club, that housed some of the city services and some of the social services on site. That was the very first building that they built. From that, then they started hosting meetings about, you know, hey, what does housing look like for you as a community? It was a mixed community, some immigrants, some folks that had been there for decades and multi-generational, some first time. It was the only place they could afford. So they really started outlining what they wanted to do on, on a large piece of land with an opportunity that they've never had before. So they heard everything from, I would like low cost rental to, I want to purchase my own home. So outside of the traditional habitat model, they started building those and they built multi-family housing. They built duplexes and fourplexes for affordability. They built single family detached and they built it on the same premise. So the families that live there got to live in the same spot, but benefit from the type of housing that fit them and address their needs centered around that community center. And then in order to make that happen, there were other pieces of land that they sold that they incorporated mixed use. So they brought in market rate developers and they sold some of those at market rate. So they really started creating that mix of housing. It's kind of what I spoke to earlier. We could see that happen. Dave, what do you think of as the secrets to success? Recently and thankfully, developers are now realizing they have to ask the community first and align to what the community wants, which you think of all the investment that's been made where the community may have said, no, this isn't what I need. So at least starting where you should be starting, which is asking the community and aligning what the community wants, but really just going again, back to those Home Matters tenants and saying, community, which, which of these quality of life 
aspects makes most sense for you now. Some communities will absolutely say, I want two car garage and a white picket fence. Other communities, which we heard from Eva Olivas in, in her work with Phoenix Revitalization Corp was more places to eat. We wanna see a more variety. They don't have to be high-end restaurants, but just different types of food that we're able to, to access and eat. And that, that would be a, a great addition to our community. So you have to ask the community and say, what is the, the most important thing now? I, our, my friend and mentor uh, and helped co-found Home Matters in St. Louis, that's what he did. He had been doing scattered site affordable rentals through inner ring suburbs of St. Louis, including Ferguson, where Michael Brown was shot, tougher areas. And the first thing that they said was, we have no access to food. We got to get on a bus and go 45 minutes for food. Uh, the second thing they asked for was entertainment. And so first things first, he got a grocery store put there. And then the second thing he built was a movie theater. The housing was actually a couple more things down the way. You know, I'm okay with my older stock housing. Yes, I'm going to need some repairs if a roof is leaking, but he had been doing scattered site rental and home repair. And the community was like, that's great, but I'd really like to just not have to spend 45 minutes back and forth to go to a grocery store. And I really like to not have to travel to the other side of, of St. Louis to go see a movie. So again, he wouldn't have known that. He's in how's your brain. He's like, no, I got to rehab, rehab, rehab. I got to build out more scattered site rentals so people can live here. But when they thought about it, yeah, it's great that I'm, I live in a rehab home. If I walk outside and I'm, there's nothing for me to do, there's nothing for me to access when it comes to my quality of life for food and entertainment, it's, it's not really a, an improved life. Affordability does not make by itself an improved quality of life. And you wouldn't know that unless you ask the community. So I, I think there has been this renaissance of among community developers who all with great intentions and good hearts came out of the 70s and said, we just got to build homes to now start thinking about, well, we, we need to ask communities what it is they want. We may be surprised by the answer, but I guarantee you 100% of their answers are going to find a home somewhere in your vitalist wheel of these are the things that matter to me when I think about my home. It's not just the four walls and a roof. going to be some level of community outside that. And Denise, maybe you can share too, when you started thinking about first place and your huge artistic depiction of what people wanted. You look at that, that thing, because that's Denise, what Denise did is ask that community. It wasn't, I don't think four walls and a roof is anywhere on that thing. It was more about the community and the home that people were seeking when it came to where people with autism would live. We started this podcast just diving right into the content, which has been a really great conversation. And I failed to even give any of you a chance to introduce your organizations or what you're all about or how they came to be. So, Denise, tell us about First Place and, and the history behind it. Well, I appreciate that. But before I do, I just want one other component that I think is a really key ingredient, and that is to make sure that we measure, to make sure that we have some proof points along the way quality of life measurements, life course outcomes, recognizing what works for whom and what needs to work better. Communities are perfectly imperfect. We need to keep working on them to get them right and to get them right for more people. And that's what we're really talking about. First Place was created through many years of work through the Southwest Autism Research and Resource Center. So we started that organization in 1997 to support individuals with autism and their families throughout their lifetimes. And within two years of founding the organization, we were already working on strategic plans for 
housing because we knew that's where it was going. And we realized that today there are unprecedented numbers of children with autism transitioning to adulthood to the tune of 70,000 people across the country. And further, we as parents aren't getting any younger. And so today we have more than a million people with autism and intellectual developmental disabilities living with family members, caregivers over the age of 60. And so the answer to who's going to care about our kids when we're no longer able to do so, well, that's going to be the community. And we need to find and create homes in that community. And so First Place was created as a sister nonprofit to SARC in 2012 to separate the real estate and that inherent risk from the research and programs and services that SARC provides. And so we are a real estate and community developer that looks very broadly at the population of people with autism and neurodiversities, most recently published a report with ASU Morrison Institute so that we could better identify the narrative for what we should even call it. And so that body of work has identified 150 terms so that the private nonprofit and philanthropic sectors can all talk to each other and that we can better identify people based on what they need and what they want. And to call somebody high functioning with autism dismisses their disability. To call somebody low functioning ignores their strengths. And so in a more respectful way, we've identified beyond a diagnosis terms so that they can better express what they need in terms of marketplace can deliver. And so that is our aim through first place. And what we are doing is teaming up with other nonprofit developers and developing our own properties so that we can start fueling a new portfolio and a new wave of housing and community options, not just here, but across the country. And if folks want to see some of the shining star examples of housing that you've been able to create, where might they go? They would go to our website at firstplaceaz.org and look at the tab under the Global Leadership Institute to access some of our reports and some other properties across the country that are also leading the way in this new generation of options. Dave, I want to give you a moment as well to talk a little bit about Valley Leadership, particularly to talk about the impact teams. And I know there's one that's built around housing. Yes, thank you. CEO of Valley Leadership have now been there four years and just blown away by the potential and leadership we've created over 40 plus years and putting that leadership to work, helping solve Arizona's most pressing issues. So as I mentioned before, housing is one of those most pressing issues and home is where it all starts when, it, when you think about all the other issues that the state faces. So Yes, we have a, an impact maker model that we say is collective impact inspired collaboration with teeth, any number of ways to, to say that it's essentially a group of, of leaders coming together to say, we're going to solve, which is a little different. There's some serving going on in the model, but it's mostly a long-term play towards how do we solve our most pressing issues. So the expectation and how we train our leaders, just like Gabriel, when he went through Ready Together program last year is to set them up for how will you tackle all these various issues in a way that builds trust among people working in that space, that looks at it from a team mindset and not about a you mindset, that looks at it from integrity and, and valuing facts and critical thinking, thinking about what's best for Arizona, which is more difficult than it sounds actually, and then uh, finally being driven to do, thinking about what can be done, not thinking about more to think about. And so when we, when we set that up across what are now seven teams, health, education, jobs in the economy, racial justice, the environment, child well-being, we wanted to create a space that allows for that to happen. 
and with some structure to get people going on that. So Gabriel helped lead a housing and healthy neighborhoods impact team where we will look at two things. One is how to start tackling that stigma and thinking about that messaging of home. And then another one is going to the communities and saying, how do we help you figure out what it is you want for your community? So those are the two key strategies the team will be working on that Gabriel's leading and very excited about it. Again, it's, it's one of those where at the end of the day, it's not a surprise that the suite of impact teams that Valley Leadership is looking at are similar to those quality of life things we talk about with Home Matters. At the end of the day, people want something from their community and want to have the best quality of life possible. The overlap there is, to me, the magic of your wheel. And if you get all of those things firing at the same time, you really can create that, that new or improved quality of life. Yeah, it's an incredible model. It makes a lot of sense that you're helping to cultivate leaders and you're ultimately help them lead as well. Mm-hmm. Gabe, earlier you mentioned that there's 250,000 units that need to be built within the state in order to address the housing crisis. You now work for Vitalist Health Foundation. We are a foundation. We have a bunch of money in our pocket. Why don't we just build 250,000 affordable units? Is that your new job? You don't have enough. You don't have that much money. <laughs> no, cities, municipalities can't build their way out of it alone. Um, you know, that's just monumental to, to address that shortage in number of units. We talk about the housing spectrum. We're short on the entire spectrum. You know, whether that's emergency shelter. All the way through home ownership, we're short along the entire spectrum. What I really appreciate about the opportunity here at Vitalist is, you know, I can work with organizations statewide to help bring these minds together or participate, whether I'm on the, you know, the board of Arizona Home Matters, the health impact implementation team, Valley Leadership, these groups, I can work within these groups to help address it, to help get the minds together, to help address these complicated issues. That, like Dave and Denise were saying, the funding mechanisms, legislation, there's so many layers that are involved in, in addressing housing in Arizona. And Vitalist is, I'm really happy to be a part of this team because it provides me that opportunity to work with them all to see how we can start addressing this issue, a statewide issue. All right, gang, last call. What do you want to make sure that our audience knows? What's the call to action that you wish to request of our audience? What do you want to make sure you emphasize with them? If anybody does anything, knowing that as complicated as housing is and you don't need to understand it all, letting your city council members, your neighborhood leaders, your legislators, everyone under the sun know that it is an important thing probably the most important thing and that you hope and expect their full support for anything that that invests in that and along that continuum and spectrum that that Gabe talks about it can't just be homelessness it can't just be home ownership it's got to be across that spectrum and when you do invest in that you're investing in the entire community whether you live there or not so tell the powers that be that you support these kinds of efforts Gabe what do you want to make sure our audience knows for me, it'll boil down to participation. I want our community members to participate, and that could be a neighborhood association meeting, or it could be at the zoning change meeting for you know something going on in their community to participate and be aware of what's going on in their community so they have a voice about what's happening. That's a big deal for me. That's one of the reasons I got involved in the village planning committee to see what was going on. Participate is a big is a big one that I would hope residents participate in their community, and not just for the sake of the development 
but to check on their neighbors, you know, to let everybody know what's going on, lend a hand, whatever that may be, but participate. I so appreciate that, Gabe. And I agree with you. Everybody can do something. And when Phoenix was acknowledged by PBS NewsHour as the most autism-friendly city in the world, it was because so many people did something to become more aware, to create greater access for those kids in the schools, to create and open more doors to job opportunities. And now we want more housing opportunities too. Would love for Phoenix to continue earning that moniker of the most autism-friendly city in the world and not just for autism, but for every ism to think that we can include in our diversity, equity, and inclusion policies and offices, a place for everybody to be at the table. And that's what I would want people to think about making a difference and using this point in time as our moment to make it matter and to make homes matter for everybody. Thank you, Gabriel, Dave, and Denise for reminding us of the value of home and for grounding us in the real-life application of your work to develop homes, not just housing, that meets community needs. Your insights are invaluable as we collectively tackle the housing shortages in Arizona. Housing insecurity and the lack of affordable housing has long been a problem, one that was only exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. But as Denise stated, now is the moment to leverage the long overdue energy and attention that housing rightfully deserves. In the field of ecology, there exists a term, keystone species. It's named after the topmost stone in an arch that holds the entire structure together. Keystone species, as described by National Geographic, are species in an ecosystem that have a disproportionately large effect on the communities in which they occur. For example, beavers build dams, which ultimately create wetlands for other species to thrive. And in Yellowstone National Park, the reintroduction of wolves ultimately changed the entire biodiversity throughout the park. Let's consider housing, the ability to have a home, as a keystone resource. With it, individuals and families have a foundation from which to build community, develop wealth, to be safe and ultimately enjoy good health. But in its absence, a person's trajectory and ability to prosper is completely altered, placing them farther and farther away from good health. Remember, the choices we make depend on the options we have. The availability of quality, affordable housing is a keystone resource in the arch of health, providing each of us a greater ability to live well. Many thanks to our guests, Denise Resnick, Dave Brown, and Gabriel Jaramillo. And a shout out to the team at Gordon C. James Public Relations and producer Rob Trigg at Star Worldwide Networks for editing and sound design. If you enjoyed this episode, you can access all of our episodes at vitalisthealth.org podcast or by searching for Vitalist Spark on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, take care of yourself and each other.